0: Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. It is so good to be with you here today. For those of you in the building, for those of you worshiping online, whether on Facebook or uh, on, uh, on the, the live stream page, we are so glad you're here. Uh, my name is Dan Min, and uh, I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at State College Alliance Church, and uh, uh, for nine months out of the year, uh, I, I am over on the dark side. I'm over on campus. I, am, uh, I spend time on campus, I, my wife and I. I have the privilege of uh, serving Alliance Christian Fellowship ACF which is our campus church over at Penn State and uh, uh, we wrapped up what may have been quite possibly the most unusual year in the life of ACF and uh, uh, I know that that's uh, you know an oversimplification but it's been a weird year and still yet In all the oddness of campus life, God has been faithful. He's been good. And I just want to let our church family here on this side know that uh, we're still celebrating all that God God has done on campus and continues to do in spite of these unusual times. But now now that campus life is sort of on summer mode, we're kind of shifting gears, I have the joy of coming back to the mothership and worshiping with all of you. And it is an absolute delight to do so. And furthermore, I have the honor of bringing God Words to you here today, and so, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to First Thessalonians chapter two. We're continuing our series called "Living in Light of Eternity," and uh, we'll be in First Thessalonians chapter two, starting at verse nine. So, if you want to find your place now and just hold it there for a moment, we'll get to the passage here in just a little bit, friends. Today, <clears throat> I want to talk to you about building life-giving relationships. With eternity in mind, building life-giving relationships with eternity in mind. You know, when I was first entering into ministry, I had a lot of pastors and ministers and uh, veteran, uh, seasoned uh, um, pastors uh, come alongside me and mentors who would come alongside me with lots of valuable words of insight and wisdom and advice. You know, for this young, budding uh, pastor who was just starting out in ministry, I, I valued the words of these sage wis- uh, the, 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 the wisdom and the counsel of these uh, pastors. And, and, and one particular advice that kept coming up, and no matter who it was, no matter, no matter who, was the, who it was given this advice, it all seemed to come back to this single word of advice. And they would say something along the lines of, Dan... As you enter into ministry, don't ever think for a moment that your job is boiled down to a single task, like preaching. Many people think that's all that a minister does, right? That's all that a pastor does. He just gets up and preaches. Don't ever think that your job is boiled down to a single task. In fact, it's not even boiled down to a series of tasks. In ministry, you're going to find it real easy to busy yourself with building programs, that you lose sight of your primary calling, which is to build up people. In ministry, it's real easy to fill your life with busy tasks, tasks upon tasks, but your job is not about building programs, it's about building up people. Interestingly enough, you wanna know the hardest thing about ministry? It's people. (laughs) It's easy to build a program. It's easy to put on an event. It's easy to do. It's it's much harder to build up people, and yet it's also the most significant thing about ministry. And as I think upon today's passage, I wonder if this veteran-seasoned minister of the gospel, this pastor, Pastor Paul, might say the same to all of us. People of God. Your life is not to be consumed with programs and busying your life with endless tasks and to-dos, but rather it is to be filled with relationships. Make your life about people, not about programs. Make your life about building relationships, investing in people, forming life-giving bonds that would have an eternal, everlasting impact. Now, as you sit here, you might be saying to yourself, "But, but hold on. I ain't no pastor (laughs) i'm not called into ministry i god did not call me into the ministry like he did you i'm not called into ministry oh friends but he has god has indeed called all of us into ministry now listen you might not be working for a church you might not be employed by a church you might not be receiving a paycheck from a religious institution but but hear me scripture is undeniably clear that those who identify as followers of jesus are all called to be co-laborers for the kingdom of God. We are all called to go and make disciples of all nations. We are all called to shine the light of Jesus wherever we are, in whatever industry we're in, in whatever workplace we find ourselves in. We are called to be God's chosen race, his royal priesthood, a holy nation called by God, set apart by God to proclaim the greatness of this God who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Friends, we are all called into ministry. And as you'll see in just a moment, Paul's message to the collective ministering body of believers is make your life about people. Make your life about build up people, invest in people. In other words, build life-giving relationships with eternity in mind. In today's passage, we discover a few key things about Paul's relationship with the Thessalonian church that will give us a clue as to how to go about this, how to go about building life-giving relationships with eternity in mind. And so I want you to look with me at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Pick me up at verse 9, and we'll carry it all the way to the end of chapter 2. And it says this. Hear the word of the Lord. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day. And we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this. And when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God and opposed all mankind. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. For wrath has come upon them at last. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? Or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Church family, the question I want us to be able to answer today is how do we go about building life giving relationships with eternity? In mind. This whole series is living in light of eternity. And I want to use that filter as we think about building life giving relationships. How do we make our lives about investing in people and relationships and, in ways that really matter? What does that look like? Well, let me offer up three ways here this morning. The first is this push one another towards the cross. Push one another towards the cross. And by all means, if you need to shove them, if you need to thrust them to the cross, so be it. Push one another towards the cross. You'll notice Paul's opening words here in verse 9. He says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. Now now, listen, part of Paul's labor and toil was the task, was preaching the gospel But that wasn't the entirety of what he labored and toiled over. His labor and toil was also about, number one, how he lived. We see that in verse 10. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But we also see that it's in how he led. In verse 11, listen to to what he says. For you know how, like a father with his children, okay, he lays out this relational dynamic here. Like a father with his children, verse 12, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see, Paul's labor and toil was relational by very nature. And the relationship that he had with the Thessalonians, he says, was like a father to a child where he spent countless hours and days. He spent his energy. He poured out his resources doing what? Exhorting. Encouraging and charging the Thessalonians to walk in a manner worthy of God. In other words, Paul spent his life pushing others towards the cross. You know, in ACF, my wife and I do quite a bit of couples counseling. As you might imagine, young college kids, they like to date. They like to date. And, and so we encounter a lot of these couples. Uh, they, they come knocking on our door. Some of them are in a more formal setting. Uh, we've got, we just got done doing a, a whole host of premarital counseling with a few different couples here this season. Uh, and then there are other dating couples who are just looking for just some, some insight and some counsel and just, just some outside wise voices that would help them navigate the dating scene. And inevitably one of the questions that comes up, is should i be dating this guy dan and nicole can you can you help me or should i be dating this guy should i be pursuing this girl is this relationship right and good for me should i stay in this relationship and our response to them will almost always be does he or she push you towards the cross now that's not the response they want to hear You know what I mean? That's not the response. In fact, I know that because of their response to our response. They respond by saying things like, well, no, not really. He doesn't push me towards the cross, but but he's a really nice guy. He's he's got a really good heart. I mean, have you met some of the guys here at PSU? I mean, i call myself a good one here. You know, I, I don't know if I could find a good guy like this. Listen, I can respect that. I can even agree with you on that. But does he push you towards Jesus? I'll hear guys say things like, "Well, to to, to that question, no." But Dan, you don't understand. She's so pretty. I mean, she's, this girl's like a solid 10. I mean, I don't know that I'm going to be able to find myself another girl like this. You know, like, I don't know. I didn't even know how she likes me. And this, like, I know I, I, she doesn't push me towards Jesus, but can't I stay with her? I mean, just look at her. No, I don't want to look. I don't care if she's got a modeling contract. Does she push you towards the cross? And, friends, listen, this isn't just a dating principle. This is a relational principle across the board. Do the relationships in your life push you more and more to the cross of Jesus whereby you look more like Jesus, whereby you smell more like Jesus, whereby you think more like Jesus, whereby you live more like Jesus? You want to build life-giving relationships with eternity in mind? Find those kinds of people. You know what I'm talking about, those kinds of people, you spend some time with them and you fall deeper in love with Jesus more and more. You know those types, right, like I got people in my life, I, all I need is one hour of, of a phone call. I don't even need to be with them face-to-face one hour. And I, the, the, the love of Jesus oozes out of them that it becomes contagious. And I'm walking away from that one-hour conversation with my love and adoration for Jesus growing and growing. Find those types of people. But listen now. It's not just about finding those kinds of people, but it's also becoming that kind of person. Remember how Paul said in verse 10 of today's passage. He says, hey guys, you are witnesses in God also. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. You see, the heart of God is for us to, yes, find those people who would push us towards the cross. But it is also to become the kinds of people who would push others towards The cross, out of the overflow of our lives, so we build people up. Out of the overflow of what God does in our lives, so then we go out and we build people up. Push one another towards the cross. The second way we build life-giving relationships in light of eternity is we learn to suffer well together. We learn to suffer well together. Friends, I don't need to tell you this. It's no secret. Suffering is a universal reality of life. It doesn't matter who you are, what you believe, suffering will find you. Suffering is the inescapable reality of what it means to be human. In fact, this last year has proven that very fact. We are living in a time where we are marked by great suffering on multiple levels. I mean, we're talking physically, emotionally, Mentally, societally, economically, politically, relationally. I mean, on every conceivable level, there seems to be some kind of suffering brewing on the surface, making its way up to the top, and there's some kind of suffering we are all enduring. For some of us, it's more personal. Others of us, we are feeling it on a massive scale. But how many of you know there is, believe it or not, a way to suffer well? There is a way to suffer well. And part of suffering well is to learn to suffer together, not in isolation, not by ourselves, and not in ways that would create further division, but to suffer together in the context of a gospel-centered community that is grounded in the good news and the hope of Jesus. You see, when we learn to suffer in that kind of environment, our suffering no longer becomes something that we resent, but rather it becomes something that God uses to write his story in us and through us. We won't go into all the details of the text, but in verses 13 through 16, Paul mentions how the Thessalonians suffered. They went through some suffering. Maybe not the kind of suffering we came out of or that we're suffering, but Paul mentions how the Thessalonian church suffered very much in the same way the church in Judea suffered various kinds of persecution and suffering. But the key to their suffering was that they suffered together. They didn't try to deny the reality of their suffering. They didn't try to avoid their suffering. They didn't try to fix their suffering. These are some common responses to suffering in our lives, isn't it? Some of us deny any and all forms of suffering. We got our blinders up and we're just trucking along. We we think the pathway to joy is through denial. And so we deny that there's any suffering because, quite frankly, it's easier to live in denial than it is to face that which we're suffering. For, for others of us, we're not in full-blown denial. We're like, okay, there's suffering. We get it. But we do all we can to avoid it. We do all we can to avoid it. We run from suffering. Because we think, you know, it, as much as we can avoid suffering, that's a good thing. That's the goal in life, avoid suffering. And so we run. And still yet for others of us, we don't quite run. We want to fix what is broken. And so we try to resolve the suffering. We try to fix it. We go into fix-it mode. But look, I want you to catch what Paul said in verse 13. Notice what he says here. He says, we also thank God constantly for this. Now, now remember the context that Paul is talking about this. He's talking about this in light of the suffering that these Thessalonians have endured and that, that they are enduring. And so he says, I also thank God for this. And when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you, believers. You see, what enabled the Thessalonian church to endure their suffering together was the word of God and the spirit of God that was at work in that community of believers. Church family, the way we learn to suffer well together is by clinging ever so tightly to this gospel-centered community that God has called us to and grounding ourselves in the good news and the hope of Jesus. If suffering is inevitable, and friends, it is. Perhaps it's time that we learn to suffer well together. You want to know how to build life-giving relationships with eternity in mind. Number one, you don't suffer alone and by yourself. But number two, you don't allow the sufferings of this world to divide us and create further division. Friends, how many of you know there's not a shortage of things in our world today? We don't have to go searching far and wide To find things to divide ourselves over. Have you lived at all this last year? You don't have to go searching far and wide to find things to gripe over. To divide ourselves over. Small, insignificant things that we latch on to. Now, I I know I'm poking at some of you. I'm poking at myself because I've done this. I found myself doing this all the last 12 plus months, finding myself, finding reasons to divide myself from others. But the people of God are called to something different. In the midst of the suffering that our world is enduring, may we not suffer like the world does, but may we suffer together, may we suffer well, may we suffer together, clinging to one another in this gospel-centered community where a hope Our hope for this suffering, the hope that will see us through this suffering, is grounded not in our opinions or our preferences, but in the gospel, in the good news of who Jesus is and what he is seeking to do in and through us. Let us learn to suffer well together. The third and final way we build life-giving relationships with eternity in mind is we plant relational seeds consistently and faithfully. Plant relational seeds consistently and faithfully. I love how Paul ends this passage. In verses 17 and 18, he expresses his deep love and affection for the Thessalonians... And how he longs to see them face to face. Oh, I want to see you face to face. But how Satan hindered us from doing so. Now, we don't know exactly what that entailed. But we know that Paul, Paul's loving affection is pouring out in, on, on the pages of scripture here in First Thessalonians chapter 2. And then in verses 19 and 20, he says this. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. You see, Paul comes full circle here. He opens up this passage by talking about his labor and toil. You remember that, right? In verse 9, he says, oh, how, remember how I labored and toiled. He's talking about, the, he starts off that way. And then he comes full circle. And then here in verses 19 and 20, when he refers to the Thessalonians as their hope, joy, and crown, he's talking about the fruit now of his labor and toil he's saying i've poured out my life for you i've invested my time into not building programs but building you you people the thessalonians and look at you now you're doing it you're doing it man you're living in a manner that is worthy of god man you guys are our hope our joy our crown he's saying all that labor and toil was totally worth it now that we're seeing you live out your faith what a beautiful thing but now what about those moments when you don't quite see the fruit of your labor and toil? What about those moments when you plant those seeds but you don't see any growth? What about those moments, uh, parents of, of grown adults? Now, I'm not quite there yet. I've got two young ones, and, uh, but, but I've, I've spoken with enough parents uh, who, who, have, who have grown children who say things like, I did all I could. I, I, I raised them up. I, I trained them up in the way that they should go. I trained them up in the ways of the Lord. But, 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 but right now, they're walking through a season of life where I'm not seeing the fruit of my labor and toil. They're making choices and decisions in their lives where, where it's counter to what I all the labor and toil that I put in. I, I'm just not quite seeing that. Friends, here's the hard reality. On this side of heaven, you know this, you and I may never see the hope or joy or crown that Paul saw in the Thessalonians. In other words, we may plant those relational seeds and invest in relationships in our lives. And we may never see the fruit of our labor and toil. But that does not mean we stop planting the seeds. does not mean that we stop A few years back, I met a student uh, who came through ACF. Some of you uh, may have already heard this story, those of you who uh, were joining us uh, on campus, Um, but I think it's worth sharing again. This student who came through ACF, he he didn't grow up in the church, he didn't have any faith background, but he he was at a point in his life where he was exploring Christianity. He said, you know what, I've given everything a shot, I might as well give Jesus a shot. I might as well give this whole church thing a shot, this whole Christianity thing a try. And he found our church on campus. But at the time, he was, he was caught up in the party scene. And, and not just caught up in it, he was pretty deep into it. Uh, and, and I noticed he started coming out. And after a few Sundays, I decided, you know what, let, let, me, let me get to know this brother. And so I invited him out to my usual spot, Panera on Allen. I said, hey, won't you let's grab a cup of coffee. Let's grab a meal or something. Let's sit down and talk. And I met with him a few times. And I started getting to know him and getting to hear a story And church. I, I'll tell you right now, my, my intention was very simple. My intention wasn't to convert him. My intention wasn't to change his life. My intention was I just wanted to be there, present with him, getting to know him, building this relationship, and maybe at some point along the way, all my pointing him to Jesus would yield some fruit. And so every time I walked into that Panera on Allen, meeting this meeting this fellow, my prayer was, Lord use this conversation, use me in some way as a signpost that would point this brother to you, Jesus. Now listen, I might not have been able to change his mind about drinking, alcohol, partying, girls, and all of that, but I knew Jesus could. And so if I could just point this brother to Jesus, if I could just plant those gospel seeds into his life, I said, you know what, that's all I'm gonna do. That's all I'm gonna do. And the rest is in your hands, Lord. So we met a few times. eventually, long story short... He stopped coming around to church. He fell off the map. Um, he stopped responding to text messages and, and all of these things. He ended up getting sucked back into the party scene, and that was it for him. He since graduated, and uh, we both lost touch for some time. And, and, and honestly, when, when I heard that he graduated, he left PSU, my heart grieved because I thought, man, that's it. Just like that, like all those one-on-ones, all that time and energy that I put in, all the times that I was like planting those seeds, planting those seeds, planting those seeds, that's that's it. He partied hard, and that was the end of his college career chapter, and now he's off doing God knows what, I, I don't know. And a part of me felt frustrated, like, like, Man, I just, I thought maybe I saw some, some budding leaves in his life from the gospel seeds that we were planting. I thought maybe there was some fruit in all the labor and toil. But in the end, it just, I don't know, I couldn't help but feel like it was just wasted time and wasted effort and energy on my part. Several months back, to my surprise, I randomly get a Facebook message from this fellow and the student writes this message to me, and I want to share with you what he shared with me. By the way, I got his permission to do so, so. He says this, hey, Dan, I hope you're doing well in this season. You've been on my heart recently, and I wanted to tell you how grateful I am for you being Jesus to me in my difficult season three or four years ago. I know I didn't stick around with ACF because I fell back into partying for the rest of college life, but... I think about the love I experienced with ACF and how welcoming you all were to me. Even though I struggled with a dual lifestyle, you guys were there for me. And that means more than I can put into words. I have since given my life to Jesus and work and serve in a church now filming testimonies. Who would have thought? And he ends this message by saying, anyways, I hope you're having an awesome year and that God blesses you and your ministry in this season. Friends, listen, when we point people to Jesus and when we plant those gospel seeds in people's lives, hear me, it will never return void. As as scripture promises us in in Philippians chapter 1, he who began a good work will what? He's going to bring it to complete. He's going to do it. He's going to finish it. We won't always know or see the fruit of our labor and toil. But if we faithfully and consistently plant those seeds, God says, I'm going to hold up my part of the bargain. I'm going to hold up my end of the promise. I will be faithful to grow it. All you got to do is plant them. Plant those seeds. Plant those seeds. I'm going to invite the worship team forward. And as they come forward, you know, I just want to share with you... um, I've been, I've been uh, pastoring ACF now for, for uh, finishing up my seventh year here. Hard to believe. <laughs> Felt like yesterday that I was standing on this platform candidating and praying and hoping, oh, I hope I receive a call. Um, seven years later, it occurred to me uh, that in my time in ACF, I've come to realize that, you know, when these students leave PSU, when these students uh, have ACF in their rear view mirror, the thing that they carry with them is, is is not all the sermons that I preach on Sundays. Which is really disheartening, by the way, because I spend a lot of time on those. I you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into these. You know, you don't just get up on Sunday morning, and are like, I got some things to share. No. Uh, but but it's it's not. It, they don't, they don't. Remember any sermons that I preach, any series that that we've done on campus. And I've come to terms with that. Okay, that's fine. It's not the different programs that ACF offers. We do a lot on campus. During those nine months out of the year, you know, I remember when I was first candidating, um, you know, folks like Pastor Chad and Pastor Aaron, those who sat in that seat prior to me, they, they said, you know, Dan, you got to basically think about all the ministry that you would do in a 12-month period and just cram it in into nine months and then add some on top of that. And that's ACF, that's campus ministry. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of programs and a and lot of events that we do, but it's, it's not any of that that the students carry away with them long after they're gone. It's not the programs or events, the thing that carries the most significant weight long after they're gone are the relationships that they built during their time at ACF. The friends, the mentors, the sponsors, some of you have served as sponsors, some of you are currently serving as sponsors. The thing that they carry away with them are the relationships that they built during their time at ACF, the people who... Consistently push them towards the cross. I'll, I'll tell you, I, I can't, I, I I can't even form a list because it's too long of graduates and alumni of ACF and Penn State who would say, you know what? It's because of this person. She was relentless in her pushing me towards Jesus. Every time I got around this guy, he would talk about Jesus. Every time I, I spent time with the sponsor, she, he or she would ask me, "How's your walk with God going?" Hi. Uh, time and time again, case study after case study. It's those people who pushed these students, who pushed these young adults to the cross. That's the thing that they carry away with them. The people who sat with them and cried with them and struggled with them. The people who weren't there to try to fix their problems... The people who weren't there to, to avoid, oh, man, that's, that's a messy situation. I don't want nothing to do with that. No, no, the, the thing that they carry with them is all those people who sat in their dorm rooms, who sat in their apartments, who sat on couches, in, in different places on campus, who cried with them, mourned with them, hurt with them, who were present with them to say, hey, I'm here to struggle with you. And we're gonna ground ourselves in the hope and the good news of Jesus. Now, this struggle might not go away in in, in a zap, but you know what? In the meantime, I'm here. I'm going to suffer together with you. And not in a misery loves company kind of way. That's not not a gospel community. We We don't suffer together just to be miserable. We suffer together because we know there's a hope on the other side. And so as we cling together, we suffer together with hope. The thing that these students carry away with them is all the memories of the people who were consistent and faithful and showing up and planting those gospel seeds in their lives. No matter what season of life that they were in, no matter if they were deep into the party scene or whether they were deep into Bible study. The thing that they carry with them are those people who are consistent and faithful and showing up and saying, hey, I just want to plant some seeds in your life. It's not my job to see it grow. I plant, someone else waters, God does the growing. So I'm just going to plant my seed and and, and see where God takes you. That's the thing that these people carry. That's the thing that these students, these graduates, uh, again, seven years into this, year after year, that's what I hear from students. What are you taking away from your four years here at Penn State, here with ACF, our church family? Over and over again, it's that list people who pushed me towards Jesus, the people who've cried with me and suffered with me. It's those people who consistently, faithfully planted gospel seeds into my life. Those are the things that I'm going to carry with me into all of eternity. That's how you build life-giving relationships with eternity in mind. Paul did it with the Thessalonians. I wonder if we could do it for one another. I wonder if we could be that for one another. Won't you pray with me? Lord Jesus, relationships are hard. Man, they are, they are hard and messy, and and some of us, we avoid relationships like we avoid suffering. We've run from it, man, because it's just, it's hard, it's messy. And quite frankly, for some of us, well, we've been hurt in relationships. And for others of us, we just don't see the value or the need for relationships and yet that is the thing that you call us to as the body of believers it comes out of the overflow of who you are God you are a relational God by very nature as we look upon the Trinity God three in one bound by relational community and so God you call us to that same level of community the work of, of, of the gospel of jesus the good news of jesus how jesus you went to the cross for what purpose to reunite us to bring us into right relationship with you our entire faith movement is built on relationship and may our church even here let's just get real personal lord right here And State College Alliance Church, help us, show us how to do relationship well. How to do relationship better. How to build, truly build, life-giving relationships. These kinds of relationships that mutually breathe life into one another. Lord, show us how to build those kinds of life-giving relationships, even right here in this context, right here in this church community. Lord, I know that there are a lot of things to be frustrated by with the church, with this community, with the larger faith community, and there's this. again, we are not at a deficit of things to divide ourselves over, but oh God, would you help us, by your grace, would you help us to navigate all of this well by by the people of God linking arm in arm and saying, you know what, we're going to stay together in this. And we're going to lean into all that God has for us. As we sang earlier, like a rushing wind, Jesus breathe within. Lord, have your way. Lord, have your way. That is, that is still our prayer. We may have stopped singing that song, but that is still our prayer. Lord, have your way. Come. Right here within our faith community, right here within our church family, within our immediate family. Lord, help us to build the right kinds of life-giving relationships, even within our home family, within our neighbors. Help us to neighbor well. Lord, all all, just across the board. We want to be known as people who build life-giving relationships with eternity in mind, wherever we go, wherever we are. So help us to do that with great courage, with great steadfastness, and with great hope. So Jesus, we look to you for all these things. In the strong name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing.